Before we get started, we just wanted to read a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, this is a comedy slash true crime podcast. We are a few guys who like to laugh and crack jokes. We understand the nature of the topic is very disheartening and grim, but our aim here is to bring to light these real-life situations so you, the listener, can be more aware of your surroundings and hopefully laugh alongside with us. We will not make jokes about the victims or the families impacted by the unfortunate situations, but we will make jokes about the perpetrator or anywhere we see fit. If you don't believe people should be joking about this subject, or if you are expecting a more serious retelling of the event, or if you do not like commentary and banter on the subject, then this is not the podcast for you. Hello, welcome back everybody. My name is Brian. Hey, I'm Will. And I'm Octavio. Yeah, Octavio. Today... We are going to be talking about the craziness that is Skinwalker Ranch. So let's just jump right into it and let's get this thing started. Join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times. So what's up, everybody? What's going on, man? What's up, man? Not How much. you doing? How was your yeah. Easter weekend? It was pretty cool. Pretty cool. It was fairly uneventful. Um, same. Same. Nice, man. Very nice. I think that's. I think that's different for uh, you and me because. Oh yeah, family. We, and stuff? Yeah, we yeah. live by ourselves yeah. for the most part, right? So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't do the traditional Easter yeah. thing. Well, the only reason I usually don't do anything, but uh, like I said, it was a four and a half day weekend and it felt like I blinked and it was gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, true. That grind tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It uh, kind of like on a spring breakish yeah. sort of thing right now. But um, so this episode uh, is going to be, you know, taking up quite a bit of time. Uh, so we're going to be getting right into it. Now, yesterday, as uh, most of you are aware, uh, you know, was Easter Sunday. So I figured what better way to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead than talking about witches. <laughs> that is the <laughs> best <laughs> way. <laughs> also, uh, yesterday was my wife, Emily's birthday, and mm-hmm. you might know her because she runs most of our social media stuff and she made our logo. So uh, happy birthday, baby love. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> Yes, so um, this episode, um, or I, w- I should say episodes, is going to be, like I mentioned, a bit longer. Um, so we are going to be cutting it up into two different parts. Um, so this will be the first part of Skinwalker Ranch. Just hang um, in there, folks. It's going to be a little long. It's, it's a wild be, ride. We had but, but, mm-hmm. even making it two parts. We could have easily done three or four on this. Yeah, Seriously, yeah. But there's we, really a lot of information on this we one. We cut it down. We're going to give you the interesting parts. Yeah, so... Hang with us. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. So this episode, again, is going to be, you know, it's going to be a doozy. I mean, you're going to have, there's going to be like several different parts to it. And it's just an overall wild story. Um, I mean, you're really going to have to suspend disbelief for this one. Brian is not kidding you. You really have to want to believe in pretty much every form of paranormal thing you can think of. 
like every yeah. single one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there really isn't a definitive answer or conclusion to these incidents either. So I guess, you know, we could say that it falls under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> now I really wanted I like to. That. We made that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a recurring thing here. Oh yeah, oh. dude, for sure. So I really awesome. wanted to cover a story that was closer to where I live, um, which is here in Utah. And I found that there was this incident that took place maybe two and a half hours away from where I currently am. Now, Skinwalker Ranch is located in the northeastern region of Utah, about an hour away from like the Colorado border. And the ranch itself is within the Uinta Basin. Now, why is the Uinta Basin a detail that I include? Because for decades, there have been many reports of strange activity in and around the basin. Some of the first reports came from settlers and pioneers who were traveling through the area, and since then, activity has only continued, and in some cases, even increased. So maybe it has always existed. We just don't know. Yeah, now there's mm -hmm. a just like you said that it went back a long ways. I think I heard a story and back when like the Spanish conquistadors were in the area and they said that they were having like a bonfire and they just saw a, like a bright orange light right above mm -hmm. them hovering and then disappear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that yeah. was like the 1700s. So, yeah. So it's it's the area has always been um, a very strange area of activity. Now had bonfires back then. <laughs> <laughs> fire existed back then what? Yeah. what no no we what? only had the wheel we only had the wheel oh, okay yeah no bonfires right 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 now um in the same area and region there are a number of native american reservations now the navajo have reservations that extend all the way down to new mexico arizona areas in utah and parts in colorado otherwise known as the four corners but in this area of Utah, the Ute tribe. I'm sorry, the the what? <laughs> what, what was that word? <laughs> the the Utes. What? It I'm was sorry, the what? I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Did you say Hugh? The Ute, the Ute tribe oh, okay. have a large presence. Oh, oh, in this case, it actually is the Ute. The Utes, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. The Utes okay. are an actual, yeah, Indian tribe. Um, now, the Utes have lived in this area for generations, and even they have reported strange occurrences over time. Things like strange lights in the sky, odd formations in the earth, and even sightings or encounters with supernatural beings like a skinwalker. Like long before it was even a ranch, that land was actually Native American land. And I mean, that could be said for literally all of North America. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't so, narrow it down, man. Exactly. It it down. <laughs> you know, but this land in particular uh, belonged to the Ute tribe. And currently that ranch borders the Ute tribe reservation. Now, the tribe believe that this section of land or the ranch, um, which spans roughly about 500 acres or so, was cursed and placed on them by the Navajo. Now, Ute tribe members are forbidden to step foot on this land as they believe it to be in the path of the Skinwalker. And for this reason, the locals began calling it Skinwalker Ranch. And the interesting part is that about three quarters of the people that live in this area 
have experienced something out of the ordinary, and travelers or others passing through reported an uneasy feeling, as if the bleak landscape held some sort of dark secret. So what is a skinwalker? Now, my buddy Will here would be happy to give a live interview with a real-life skinwalker at, at night in the middle of a large field when it's a full moon, and Will will give us a breakdown of what a skinwalker is. You know, be sure to, you know, ask those hard-hitting questions. And, and oh, yeah, don't don't look it in the eyes. So oh, no. over to you, Will. <laughs> I'm so nervous. <laughs> <clears throat> now, I'm sorry. Oh, what? <laughs> the the Utes. <laughs> it was the Utes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what? I'm, so, oh, I'm sorry. Skin- what? <laughs> what? Uh, oh, skinwalker. <laughs> All right. Now, the Navajos... They have a boogeyman. Call them skinwalkers. And it's just as terrifying as it sounds. God, this music is so terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Now, legend has it, there's some naughty medicine man that can transform themselves into, occupy, or disguise themselves as an animal. And they are called the Yi Nadlushi. And I probably butchered that, yeah, but probably. forgive me. The yeah. Forgive me. Yeah. Ye And as the lore goes, a medicine man who abuses his indigenous magic for evil will then be given the evil power to shapeshift. This type of witchcraft is known as the witchery way, and it uses human corpses in various ways. Tools from bones concoctions used to harm or kill intended victims and in order to become a skinwalker the individual must perform the evilest of deeds killing of a close family member and most often a sibling now once a deed has been done they are granted that supernatural power to shapeshift into animals for the most part and commonly they take the form of wolves coyotes They can take the shape of any animal simply by wearing the skin of the animal they wish to transform into. Now they are able to possess the bodies of human victims as well. So if a person locks eyes with them, it will cause them to say and do things they wouldn't have done otherwise. Skinwalkers have powers as well, including reading people's minds, controlling thoughts, causing disease and illness, even death. Now, the Navajo people are reluctant to talk about skinwalkers, even to this day. It's much like the Harry Potter nerds are reluctant to say Lord Voldemort. He who who must not be named. Lord Voldemort. Oh, bro. (laughs) But think of being a teenager locked in a bathroom and saying Bloody Mary three times. I'd never do it. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it? It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, same terror, right? Mm. Navajo people don't want to talk about this. It's terrifying to them. Now, there was an employee of Robert Bigelow who will probably come up later in this episode or in the next episode um, when it comes to Skinwalker Ranch. There was a biochemist, Dr. Colm Kelleher, who would describe his encounter with one of these skinwalkers in a book that he titled Hunt for the Skinwalker. Now, he reported that he saw a humanoid figure perched in a tree about 50 feet away and 20 feet up. And he said, the large creature that lay motionless, almost casually in the tree, unblinking eyes 
as they stared fixedly back into the light. Oh shit, I fucked that up. You're good. Start over. Start here. So there was a large creature that lay motionless, <laughs> almost casually in the tree. The only indication of the beast's presence was the penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly back into the light. And then he proceeds to pop a cap at it. <laughs> it takes off. He goes back to investigate the area. And he sees claw marks that were left in the ground, almost like a raptor or a bird of prey. Think of like the Velociraptors, mm. Jurassic Park reference here. Yeah, because it had like the talons in the back of the foot, right? That's how they yeah. thought, mm -hmm. yeah. thought it was a bird. But they were huge. Like it was a heavy creature. Well, like not, the, the, the prints were like deep in the ground? Yeah, like mm -hmm. not, not a bird where you can see like little dainty, mm -hmm. you know, claw marks. It was a heavy creature. Now, there are many stories of contact with skinwalkers, mostly on Native American reservations. <clears throat> and though they may be difficult to believe, they all describe the creature the same way. It's a four-legged beast with a disturbingly human, albeit grotesque face, and orange-red glowing eyes. And this part is important because the eyes give them away. When they are in their animal form, their eyes still look very human and they turn bright red when light is shined into them. However, when they are in human form, it's the opposite. They have animalistic looking eyes. They would also be described as being fast as fuck, like running beside your car fast. Can you imagine you're driving along and some dude, you just see like this animal creature running beside you? Mm, yeah, that's fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, also, they're apparently able to jump high cliffs because they're in the mesas, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they make a fucking hellish noise. Yeah. Terrifying. Now, those who have encountered a skinwalker would describe a number of ways to know when one is near. Knock on windows. You hear a scraping on the roof. And they would even peer through your windows. There was one encounter where a man heard laughter coming from his sheep pen. And so he went to investigate because he lived alone. Smart. Like, Smart. Why the? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like any horror movie. Yeah. I'm going to go see what the fuck is going on. All by myself. <laughs> yeah. So he went to investigate. And he saw that all of the sheep were huddled into one corner of the pen with the exception of one ram who was standing there just laughing in a very human manner. Oh, fuck that. No. No, no. <laughs> no. 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 Fuck no, that. thank you. Yeah. But he locked eyes with the beast and he saw that they were very human in nature. Again, it didn't, no. it didn't look like a normal, like, like a ram's eye. Yeah. It looked like a human eye. And then it just walked off. Did he shoot at it? Because that's the appropriate response. Um, I don't think he had his gun with him. Well, he, I hope he did. I would have. Yeah. I definitely would have. <clears throat> now, you may be asking yourselves, what happens if you encounter one of these skinwalkers in the flesh? Remember, don't look them in the eye. They will take over your body. Yeah. Just run like a motherfucker. Run, bitch. He gonna kill run. you. Run. Or if you happen to have a knife or a bullet dipped in white ash, you might be able to kill it. And that is a strong might. Because if you miss, 
So if you don't hit them in the head or their neck, they are going to seek revenge. Have fun with that. <laughs> Have fun with that. I don't want anything to do with that. No. If you happen to know a shaman, they can help. They got spells and some rituals they can do that will turn the evil back upon the skinwalker. Also, if you know the skinwalker's name, like the actual human behind the skinwalker, if you figure it out who they are, then they have to return back to normal. Mm-hmm. Mm. By saying their yeah, name. By saying their name. Yeah, but how like how likely is you going to know a Native American's name just <laughs> off of looking at a fucking demon? Unless it's um, your neighbor and you recognize um, their yeah, eyes, like dude, you recognize their eyes, like hey, you're that skinwalker I saw. Hey, right? you're, you're you're Joe, hey. right? Hey, Joe. <laughs> Joe, what are you doing? What are you doing, Joe? <laughs> Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) So now the Sherman Ranch that we're going to talk about happens to be in a basin that's aptly named the Path of the Skinwalker. So that's how this all factors back in. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fucking terrifying. So like the Native American lore and the whole... And there's obviously a lot more detail that we're we're excluding, but again, like this is kind of the gist of it. And uh, when I remember like hearing the first about a skinwalker, it was fucking terrifying. Like I had nightmares. That's just a terrifying thought of, you know, uh, someone being able to transform into animals and have these abilities. So pretty fucking terrifying, right? Right. So hold on. This path of the skinwalker, I imagine this is like the borderline of where the Indians don't go. Yes. So yeah, the path of the skinwalker was like a section of land that the Navajo actually cursed on the Ute tribe. There was, uh, again, I believe that this was in the civil war area, but yeah. um, So the, the Navajo essentially cursed that land and that anybody that walks into it would encounter like a sort of skinwalker. They are the Navajo Mm. skinwalker. And that's why they never step foot there because it's cursed land. Yeah. They are forbidden to walk in that area. So uh, creepy shit, super creepy shit. So, yeah, so next time you see a coyote, look at it in the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> is it like human? Are we, are we telling people not to look in their eyes or are we telling people to look in their eyes? Yeah. Is this a skinwalker? I don't know. Are you taking I mean, that gamble of, hey, sheep, yeah. look me in the yeah. eyes? Yeah. yeah, the Bloodthirsty Times guys, they told me that these uh, skinwalkers might be roaming around my property. No, Let me get a good look at them. Let me go yeah. stare at every one of my yeah. animals now. Yeah. If they're already <laughs> in the animal form, they're not going to be able to take over the human form, right? It's before that. So just stare all the animals in the eyes. If they look oh, okay. human, shoot it. Oh, gotcha! <laughs> Just kidding. Don't with do your that. your white your white ash bullets. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, you see so, your neighbor's dog. Just start saying red Indian names. <laughs> All the Indian names you know. Just Google them and yeah. say them out loud. Right now, the ranch was first started in the early 1900s by Kenneth and Edith Myers. Now it was said that they lived on the property from 1934 to 1987. Now, for reasons unknown, they suddenly and inexplicably vacated the property, leaving it empty and unattended for more than seven years. That was until that is really fucking loud. Let me turn that down a little bit. So anyways, back to what I was saying. Uh, That was until 1994 um, when it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman. Now, I've read that this might not even be their last name, but I'm assuming that this was done uh, in an attempt to keep their identity secret to avoid all the questions. Now, the fake names in the book are the Gormans, and the Shermans are actually their their real names. So 
Um, I'm just going to stick with Sherman's for now. Send us an email, whatever. Just fucking Sherman's. That's what we're going with. So along with their two children, the couple believed they found their dream home. I mean, the ranch is absolutely beautiful. It has a high ridge on the north end of the property, a flowing creek to the south, opened green pastures with wild thickets of trees that were scattered throughout. And on top of that, the Sherman family was able to purchase the property for cheap, like a lot cheaper than it was supposed to be worth. Then he signed the paperwork and he accepted the deeds. And now Terry, the husband, felt like he scored fucking big. Like I think he, you, so it was questionably. Yeah, questionably. <laughs> yeah. Like, this house isn't haunted, I promised. Like, you know. <laughs> no, no one was murdered here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, they had, I mean, I, I assume he was just trying to get, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of land regardless. So the cheap thing, like it probably didn't bother him. Like, oh, even if there was something wrong with it, I can deal with it because it was so cheap and it is so beautiful. But I, I don't know the price, so I don't know how suspiciously cheap it was. Right, exactly. Like, what's the what's the history behind this that I'm unaware of? Now, this was all great news for Terry because he was a high-end cattle breeder. Now, that was not only his business, but also his hobby. And with the purchase of the ranch, he hoped to grow and expand his business. And the ranch offered everything he needed, like space, privacy, and even security, like mostly in the forms of fences, Um, But what he did not know is that with the purchase of the ranch, it would destroy him, not only financially, but psychologically as well. But Terry, he was actually really excited about this property because Terry, he was a simple Mormon man and he wanted to be as far away from the hustle and bustle of city life. He liked the peace and quiet compared to the small town in New Mexico. <laughs> the, the hustle and bustle of a small town in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> you, too, now, too much for him. I don't want to be able to walk to a general store. <laughs> yeah. I want to ride my horse there. I can't ride imagine. Cattle. The small town. I, I can't imagine how already small that was. And that was too big for him. It's just. So um, Terry, the, the cattle he bred were like really high end too. Like he actually sold bull semen for like a lot of money. And he was actually known in several states around the area because of his expertise. And that's one of the main reasons this whole thing affected him just so damn much. Like he was just a man who shot at anything and everything to protect his family and investment. And you'll see that later. Like if something happens, mm-hmm. he's shooting at it. For sure. Now, mm-hmm. How do you sell bull semen? Why are you looking to get into the trade? (laughs) I got some strong hands. (laughs) Sounds very lucrative. I think you have to look it in the eyes. Yeah, exactly. First, make sure it's not a skinwalker. Then we're good. All right. What if it is a skinwalker? You do it anyway. (laughs) Now, when Terry and Gwen first visited the property, they saw that it needed a lot of work. Now, this was something that they had expected because the property had been vacant for the past seven years. So they understood this. You know, what they weren't expecting to find was that when they entered the home, um, all the doors had deadbolts on them. Some of them had up to five on a single door, but all the windows, all the cabinets had them as well. What they also found were these heavy chains that hung at the front and back entrances, which were embedded in the walls. It was pretty obvious to the Shermans that these had been used to chain large 
guard dogs in place. You know, dismissing the sheer amount of security on the home, the couple chalked it up to, you know, the previous elderly couple just being paranoid and overprotective. And you might not believe that they had found all these things because their brother goes on record and saying, oh, I don't remember seeing any of that. Like Terry's brother's like, no, you guys are crazy. None of this happened. But there are several neighbors who remember visiting the Sherman property and saying like, yeah, there was chains and locks everywhere like literally every single cabinet had at least Shit. one lock so yeah. it's 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 actually made so creepy. corroborated by other people other yeah. than just them exactly now the elderly couple you know they had seemed rather eccentric after all in the real estate contract they included a number of clauses that would just seem strange and unusual even today one of the clauses was they were not permitted to dig anywhere on the land without prior approval of the previous owners during the whole process terry could not help but wonder what it was that had spooked this couple so badly that they would install all this extra security, including these weird clauses. I want to know, because it's never said that these previous owners, the elderly people, mm -hmm. they don't talk about anything. It's like these things happen to them, but they refuse mm -hmm. to acknowledge it or yeah. tell anybody. So I want to know what led to the digging thing. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? I want to know when they decided that, hey, digging, because it can't be the first time, right? You might just chalk it up to, um, what's it called? Like coincidence. So, yeah. so mm -hmm. it had to be the second or third time, like, all right, I'm going to stop digging. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a very strange thing to include in a clause. Like the first thing I would think of was like, man, these guys got fucking dead bodies out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. They just don't want us to find yeah. something. I, I initially thought that maybe the digging thing is- Buddy Holly's over here somewhere? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in case they find like precious metals or something, you know? Oh yeah, it's-, it's you know, Oh, like gold? Like they're, they're, yeah, they have if a, they dig and they find something, that's kind of like why it's included theirs. in there. Yeah. yeah, like they get a share of it or something. That's what <clears> I thought <throat> initially. But you know, the more I looked into this, the more I'm like, nah, there's something going on there. There might be a little bit more than that. Yeah. So. Um, he didn't have to wait long, however, because the weirdness started almost right away. On the first day of moving in, the Shermans were unloading their truck when they spotted something moving on the far side of the pasture to the south. Now, upon closer inspection, they found that it was a wolf loping around toward them gracefully. This immediately put Terry on guard, but it wasn't just the presence of the wolf that had alerted him. Now, using the distant fences and bushes as a scale, Terry saw that the wolf had to have been at least three times the normal size of a wolf. Like legitimately the wolves from Game of Thrones? Like weren't they said to be about three times the size of a normal wolf? Right, exactly. The, uh, the dire wolves are said to be like really, really large. And so, um, yeah, the dire wolves are absolutely fucking huge. Huge. Now, <laughs> fucking huge. Huge. <laughs> they got the best dire wolves. The best dire wolves. Now, the weird thing wasn't just the size. The weird thing was its behavior. The wolf seemed to act rather nonchalant, disarming, friendly even, rather than aggressive. And when it slowed down and stopped about 50 yards from the Shermans, the wolf just sniffed the air, glared at them with its piercing blue eyes, and continued on as if this was all normal. It wagged its tail as it approached, and Terry, who had been unloading the truck, grew brave and reached out to pet the beast. The father, being a large man himself, standing at over six feet, made a note of just how large this wolf actually was, when he claimed the head of the beast reached the top of his shoulders. Now, hold on a second. Hold the phone. Mm -hmm. 
If I see a fucking wolf that big yeah. and its head reach the top of my, I'm not petting it. Yeah. I'm not. If it's fifty yards away, I'm running inside. You see, uh, this kind of goes back to like. <laughs> what kind of fucking balls does this guy have well, dangling no, Terry, between his legs? He's got, he's got bull ex- balls. Dude, Terry's an excellent marksman. He's an excellent rancher. Like, he was born for this shit. Yeah. Terry's not afraid of shit. And that's why yeah. this is so, that's maybe why a nor- so compelling. Maybe a normal wolf. Yeah, maybe a normal wolf. But you got one with the head is touching the top of his shoulders. Right. And the weird thing is, too, we kind of mentioned this in the last episode with Randlesham Forest. Like, if you see something that's really fucking unsettling and your first instinct is like, I'm going to touch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what There's he did. no, There is no <laughs> fight or flight instinct in there. Just fucking <laughs> stupidity. Like, oh, let me pet this fucking <laughs> massive beast. Yeah. Brian, mm. Brian, even if you see a lot... You just, yeah, oh yeah, you see if you see a dome a lot. <laughs> now it became clear that despite the wolf's intimidating size and appearance, it meant no harm. The rest of the family relaxed and walked over to greet the strange visitor. Terry then stated, "Maybe it's somebody's pet." And he, he glanced nervously at the corral about 70 feet away, thinking that maybe he brought his cattle onto the property a little too soon. Inside the pen stood four breeding cows and four little calves. They were all troubled by the wolf's presence, except for one curious little calf, who happened to be poking its cute little head out of the metal fence, watching the scene unfold before him. One thing I find really funny about all this is during this whole petting the dog thing the kids were literally like this wolf is so nice like and they were begging mm-hmm. their parents to let them keep him as a pet yeah. and it's three three times the size of wolf it's a wild animal regardless mm-hmm. and these kids are like yeah let's keep him he's nice yeah i also like i mean kids in general just don't have the you know i guess the right sense of danger that they're really involved in like you know yeah. it's they don't really understand the danger there but of course when you see a big furry pet you're like yeah it's fucking let's keep him you know yeah. I don't know, man. I see a fucking wild dog walk, walk towards me, and I'm going the other way. You know, yeah, absolutely. Let alone at three times the size of a fucking wolf that's just going to rip my fucking head off. Yeah. Come on, now, Come on, man. Exactly. Come on, Terry. <laughs> Terry, come on. <laughs> Terry, get away. <laughs> now, almost as soon as Terry realized the danger, the wolf leapt across the short distance and almost immediately locked its jaws around the head of the poor calf. Now, the young calf thrashed around wildly, trying to escape, while the wolf tried to drag it out of the pen. Terry rushed to grab an axe from the back of his truck and ran toward the wolf. He began to beat it by striking its flanks and kicking at its hind legs, in an attempt to get the wolf to let go. Little to no avail, because the wolf continued to bite down and paid no attention. Get my magnum! That was what Terry shouted. Now, Terry's son ran over to the truck and opened the glove box where a 357 Magnum was stored. He picked it up and ran it over to his dad, and Terry quickly fired a shot at the wolf's abdomen, which it rang out across the pasture, but it had no effect. Uh, so the huge animal did not react in any way. It did not yelp or flinch at all. It just simply continued to ravage the calf, beginning to panic Terry fired again, but still the gun had no effect. And then after the third shot, finally the wolf released released its grip and backed off about 10 feet away. I mean, he should have known 
something was up when he had, he, I think he wore like steel toe boots, I think it said, and he like dug them into the animal's ribs like as hard as he could with no reaction whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, you hit it with a fucking axe yeah. and nothing, not a flinch. Yep. Yeah. Terry was in a state of disbelief. Like he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Very few animals could have survived a shot from a 357 Magnum at point blank range. But this wolf, quote unquote, was somehow not even wounded. There was no blood anywhere on its coat. Now Terry fired another fourth shot right at the animal's heart. The wolf retreated another 30 feet. The wolf just stood there with an unconcerned look, almost as if it was debating whether to attack the calf a second time. Now at this point, Terry shouted at his son to get his 30-06 rifle from the house, which he did in a matter of seconds. The wolf remained perfectly still while Terry took aim with the heavier caliber firearm. He said he almost felt sorry for the poor beast, and the shot rang out across the ranch in a deafening blow. And at the moment, Terry knew he had hit his target, but instead of collapsing to the ground as it should have done, the wolf simply withdrew another two feet and stood looking at the increasingly startled Terry. He quickly took another shot, and this time he saw a chunk of flesh detached from the animal, but even this did not put it down. The wolf took one last look at the calf, then turned around and trotted back in the direction it came from. Yeah, dude, these 30-06s, these kind of rifles are meant for like big game, like elk and, and other huge shit like that. I mean, even the 357 at that range should have done just immense damage to this thing, like no matter what it was. Yeah, a fucking rifle and a 357 Magnum, these are heavy guns. Like, yeah. These are some serious damage guns. And the fact that it took that much, that many bullets and it just is like, ah, oh, I'm gonna fucking walk off now with no yeah. damage aside from like a little piece. It's yeah, fucking like- crazy. The 357 is that's like your defense gun when you're hunting, mm-hmm. right? So yep. if all of a sudden a fucking wolf or a bear comes at you, pull out your 357, take a couple pot shots at it, and to not affect it at all would yeah. be terrifying. Absolutely. Now Terry was dumbfounded, but he knew he couldn't allow such a large predator to roam around on his land because of what he just saw with the calf. If left alone, it'll probably come back and eat all the other cows. So he decided to suit up with his son and go hunting for it. They followed the wolf for what may have been about half an hour, catching glimpses of glimpses of it, you know, between large patches of trees. Now the tracks led them through some more trees and brush, and on the other side was the creek. They found themselves in an open mud bank, and they could clearly see the wolf's paw prints and began to follow them. All of a sudden, the tracks stopped abruptly at about 40 yards from the water's edge. They were shocked to notice that the paw prints ended right in the middle of the mud bank. They were shocked because the wolf would have had leapt, it would have had to have leapt an incredible 40 or 50 yards in either direction to avoid leaving any more tracks. So it had seemingly vanished into thin air. Now returning back to the ranch, Terry had picked up the piece of detached flesh that he shot off the animal, and he noted that instead of it being fresh and covered in blood, it looked and smelled like a rotted piece of meat. 
he described it as if it had been left out in the sun for a few days. And in quiet contemplation, he turned his head over to the pasture and wondered what on earth he had just, what had just happened. And then that was the end of the first day. So that piece of flesh that fell off, do you think that, like we were talking about in the lore, he could wear like the skin of another animal? Do you think he shot a piece of that off? Uh, it's definitely possible, man, because like w the skinwalkers themselves, like uh, one of the details that we didn't really mention is that in order for them to become the animal, they would have to wear the pelt of the animal and then they can transform mm -hmm. into it. So it's very possible like within this lore that he was just using that as like a protective coat and that that's why he wasn't feeling any of those shots because yeah. he was just hitting armor. And that's, and that's why when it did fall off, it was already old. Yeah, yeah, it was like rotted. Mm -hmm. So, so sorry, that uh, loud bang that probably scared the fuck out of all of you. Was yeah, that falling. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "There's, oh, there's <laughs> more shots, shots fired." Yeah. That wasn't the sound effects we planned. <laughs> Will, are you dead? Will, the skin markers got him. <laughs> so, after this first day, the Shermans they had told their neighbors about this incident, and the neighbors had told them that there was a pack of big wolves that roamed the area, and this little bit of information made the Shermans feel better and less crazy. They felt better knowing they were not just seeing shit and it wasn't just happening to them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, that would put definitely someone else at ease. I mean, if that many shots at a wolf mm -hmm. and then it's like, okay, at least I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy sort of thing. So now the next few weeks were relatively normal, except for a few strange occurrences that were targeted toward Gwen, the mother and the wife. So a few weeks after the initial direwolf incident on the first day, uh, Gwen was driving down their driveway coming home from work, uh, which this driveway, by the way, was legitimately a mile long. And even the dirt road that led up to the house, if you didn't know what you're looking for, it was incredibly hard to see. So they really liked their privacy. So she was in her gray Chevette and she had gotten out to open the gate uh, to the property when out by her left side, she saw a big wolf approaching her as she sat in her car. The wolf came right up to her window and she could see its blue eyes as it walked. Finally, when it was right next to her car, she saw that it was so big that his head was taller than her car. Um, wow. This is, I think she describes it as a different wolf than the first one, by the way. Oh, wow. So a few feet away, just past the wolf, she could make clearly make out another animal that was all black and it didn't look like a wolf but it looked more like a, a dog but not a, a not a normal looking dog it had a big ass head on an already big body so the head was way too big for its body even though the right. animal was already enormous mm -hmm. so like the last time though the wolf was super friendly and nothing happened but this dress went out more than we could know because she just took off and she was super nervous because they were uh, about to bring in their super expensive bulls and they couldn't have a, a fucking dire wolf just roaming freely. Right. They can't just have that, you know? So she went to talk to the tribal office to get them to wrangle the big wolves. But when she told them what had happened, they just kind of looked at her dumbly and they, they confirmed that nobody owned pet wolves in the area. And as a matter of fact, wolves had not been seen around these parts in over 70 years so, so the sherman family they would see these wolves many times over the next few weeks in the tree lines on the ridges just looking down at them from a distance and then one day they didn't see them and then they never saw the big wolves again they just vanished 
So a little bit after Gwen's wolf encounter in the car, she was taking a stroll around Dawn at the top of a ridge, when all of a sudden she heard what sounded like a large bird just whoosh past her, and it sounded so close to her head that she actually ducked down. But she didn't actually see any bird or bat or anything with wings. She just stood there confused by what just happened. And then it happened again, this time coming from the direction of the setting sun. And even though there was still plenty of sunlight, she still hadn't seen anything that could have swooped in on her. And she stayed there, just squatted down looking around for any kind of answers, but she didn't find any. So she just ran home. Yeah, really fucking weird, man. Fucking terrifying. Exactly. So she kept quiet at first about the strange things that were happening because she thought she was just losing her mind. Now, one such instance was when she got home from grocery shopping. She would unpack them and put them away, then leave the room to go take care of something else. She would return to the room and find that all the groceries were packed back into the bags as if she had never put them away in the first place. Other times, things would just go missing in the house, or they would be moved to another room without having been in that room at all. Things like this were happening all the time, and Gwen began to get more worried about her memory and her sanity. Yo, that's some straight-up poltergeist shit, dude. Mm -hmm. So, like, so already, within the first few weeks, we have ghosts, direwolves, and invisible bats? Yeah, shit's just fucking moving around. It's incredible that by this point already, they hadn't left. I mean, this is this would already be enough to be like, all right, I'm fucking, I'm out of here, man. Go back to the hustle and bustle of New Mexico, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, we go, go back to that small town. Yeah, man. Sounds nice right about now. Exactly. And and you think like some people would think like, oh, it's just the kids playing tricks on you, but some this stuff happened while the kids were at school. Exactly. So like, she was by herself. Like, there's yeah. no one else. I mean, you already know they're isolated people, and there's no one else. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Well, this goes this goes back to the. <clears throat> The uh, skinwalkers, when you know they're around because they're oh, yeah. peering they through windows stuff. and stuff. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. just starting to do weird shit. So. Yeah, exactly. And so it was for sure. And like, again, I'd already be saying to myself that this just is just not a normal ranch. So the weird thing is that shit starts to get even more wild. Now, Terry came to Gwen asking where his post digger was. Like, I guess it's like a sort of specialized heavy tool used to dig and insert posts for fences. So Terry had set the heavy tool down behind him and began to work on the post a bit more. Then when he turned around, the tool was missing entirely. Gwen said that she and the children had been in the house all night, but they went out and helped Terry look for it. They weren't able to find it that night. Until a few weeks later, it was found hanging in a tree on the other side of the ranch, 20 feet off the ground. Now, this was alarming and very odd because the tool itself weighed nearly 70 pounds. Damn. So a few days after the post digger went missing, um, he would be working with his wrench. Uh, he, he just sat it down next to him real quick and literally turned for a second to get something else. And he went back to grab it and it was just gone. Mm-hmm. It, it was just not even there anymore. Like it was literally right next to his leg and it was gone. So feeling crazy, he told his wife what had been what he had been experiencing. And this actually, this event led Gwen to talk about her experiences in the house because for a while it seemed to only be happening to her and she just didn't tell anybody anything 
I'm not sure if it was because she thought it was just like her memory was lapsing or something or yep. or what, but when the big ass tool went missing, it opened things up for her to tell her husband what she had been experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was right around this time that the Shermans finally began to suspect that something was not quite right about the property that they bought. Now, about a week before they found the missing tool. Wait, real quick. That sound mm -hmm. was weird. You said, no. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, no. Said, no. <laughs> oh, well, because, uh, you know, I was like in the middle of a burp, but I just didn't oh. want to, like, so that's, it, it, it kind of came out like a no. <laughs> really I thought it was like an audio cue. I was like, where? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn it, guys. We're going for a mood here, guys. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Back to spooky mode. Back to spooky mode. All right, guys. Shut the fuck up. All right. <laughs> now, about a week before they found the missing tool, uh, <laughs> now I can't stop thinking about this shit. <laughs> no. You know you say now. Now. All right. About a week before they found the missing tool, Terry's nephew decided to visit the ranch. So, being the cool uncle he was, you know, he gave his nephew and his son a tour of the ranch property. It was well after sunset by the time the three of them got back, and when they were walking back to the homestead, they noticed a pair of headlights off in the distance near a fence line that was well within the boundaries of his property. Now, Terry had seen these lights before, and at the first, you know, he thought that maybe someone had just turned off the wrong road and ended up lost near his property. But upon seeing them again, he began to suspect that these people, whoever they were, may have been hunting on his land without his permission. So he decided now is the time to confront them. And so he began walking in the direction of the headlights. And as he got closer to them, the lights started to move away from him. Now his brisk walk turned into a jog, and the boys were following behind him. As, he's, as he was jogging, he began to wonder why he couldn't hear an engine sound. And when they got within a hundred yards of the lights, it suddenly lifted up off the ground and floated over some distant treetops. The lights silently continued on their course before disappearing out of sight. So he said that the shape looked like an RV from a distance. And he was angry at first because he hated when people were on his property. Then, like, like you said, he thought they might be poachers, which is a big deal. So. Yeah. So he decided then and there to handle this situation. It was, it was full on nighttime at this point, it was pitch black, and the headlights looked to be facing away from him, like the white lights were in the front and the red lights were in the back. So when he got about 100 yards, like you said, the RV started to drive away from him. And this left Terry just super confused because there was no daylight left at all and they should not have been able to see him coming from behind. So he moves towards the RV again and the RV just moves away from him again. It's kind of like cat and mouse, like you move, I move. Mm -hmm. And that's when that's when uh, Terry finally took off on a jog to catch up to it. And the kids were with them keeping pace. But no matter how fast they went, the RV seemed to maintain its distance. And what is even weirder is that as the RV was moving faster and faster, it wasn't bouncing around as you would expect a big vehicle on rough terrain to do. The lights just kind of kept steady instead of, you know, up and down, up and down along the terrain. And it just steadily chugged along at this point. Like, and then Terry keeping up with him are in full on sprints. 
Terry knew that his property line was up ahead, so he wanted to catch them before they destroyed his fence. But he also knew that beyond his fence was a dense forest with huge big trees, and there was no way a vehicle of that size could make it through. The boys were like 10 yards ahead of Terry at this point, and Terry was losing steam fast, but he was determined to keep pace because he knew the fence was just right there. And just as he thought he had cornered them, he saw the RV start to steadily rise until it was over the tree line, and he knew these trees were at least 50 feet tall. The, the boys were obviously terrified, and they looked to Terry for answers, but Terry just said, I have no clue. This story is funny as fuck when you put it in the context of his nephew was only there on the property because his parents wanted to send him to his uncle's ranch because they wanted to toughen him up with some hard work. Terry knew that his nephew was afraid of the dark and Terry enjoyed taking long strolls on his property in the dark. So he thought what better way to get over something than to just do it. And instead the poor kid just ended up experiencing unexplained shit firsthand and he actually went back home the next day. And his parents, his parents said, your, the parents said, your nephew is not coming back until you're not living on that property anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just fucking yeah, you just watch PTSD. A, yeah, yeah. You just watch a fucking RV go floating over some trees. You're like, uh, yeah, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that shit. Now, during the fall, these lights became a frequent occurrence, even more so when he began transporting his prized cattle. Things started to escalate when he brought in his high-end livestock. And then this is when things started to get serious. During the winter season, Terry found himself outside quite a bit, rounding up all the cattle that had been wandering too far astray. Now, one late evening, Terry had been searching for one of his prized Angus cows that had been missing for up to 24 hours. Now, he searched all over the ranch except for one area of dense trees, which he began to make his way toward. As he approached the trees, he was relieved to see the unmistakable hoofprints in the deep snow. It was only a matter of time before he located his cow. Now, Terry paused for a moment and considered the tracks. By looking at them, he was able to determine the cow was running at full speed as she entered the tree line. Now, this is odd behavior for a cow, especially during a snowstorm. Now, unless she had been running from something, you know, but what? Although it was unlikely a predator that would be hunting during this weather, but it wasn't impossible. But the strange thing was, Terry could only see one set of tracks. He followed the tracks for 20 more yards until he reached a wide clearing. He spotted the tracks that continued into the wide open clearing and then stopped dead. The cow was nowhere to be seen. Now a cold chill ran up Terry's spine as he recalled the wolf's tracks, which had stopped in a similar fashion. It was as if the animal had just disappeared or was sucked up into the air. He searched for a while longer, but began to lose hope. He, he began to imagine how an animal in a wide open clearing with nowhere to hide disappears in mid sprints. He thought maybe a helicopter had somehow wrangled the animal and then took off with it. But not only was that ridiculous, he never even heard the sounds of engines or rotors or anything at all. Plus, he wasn't that far behind and would have seen them flying away. He walked around the entire clearing making sure to get nowhere near the cow tracks 
because you see Terry is an expert tracker and marksman and all around hand. You know, he's good at everything in this life. He's an all around badass. Yeah, he's a rancher. And he can tell, he can tell just by looking at them, everything about an animal. And that's how he knew the cow was in full on sprint mode and had disappeared mid stride. And just, I just also want to say that this happened in Dyatlov Pass. Oh yeah. Right, right. Very similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, he turned back to the homestead with a heavy heart. The only thing Terry loved more than his cattle was his family. And to lose a single cow or bull was not only financially devastating, but heartbreaking as well. Now, over the course of winter, four more of his prized bulls and cows would disappear in a similar fashion. Now, it's said that most ranchers of this type lose about 5% of their stock annually. Mm -hmm. And to the Shermans, losing even 1% of their stock was like an affront to them. Like it was seriously like they were... It's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah it's a big deal. Like they were offended by the idea of even losing more than 1%. Mm -hmm. But but the, the losing of the 5%, you know, what what was what, what was the common cause? Uh, just death or maybe running away, other animals eating yeah, them. Yeah. Natural yeah. causes. But yeah. you imagine losing 1% to... Two aliens. Suspicious. <laughs> yeah, suspicious circumstances. Like, exactly. No, they just fucking disappeared. I don't know what the fuck happened to <laughs> yeah. them. How do you even report that? It's a fucking skinwalkers, I'm telling you. God damn it. <laughs> now, Terry began spending many nights outdoors, sticking to the shadows and creeping around his property, trying to figure out who has been taking his cattle. Now, unfortunately for him, whoever or whatever it was, always seemed to be two steps ahead. <laughs> On one of these outings, it led to him seeing a blue orb. And it, it looked like the blue orb saw him, but it just turned away and started going the other way. And Terry decided that he was going to hide from it in case it came back. So he jumped into a pile of hay, like cartoon style. And he made this little peephole, and just as he thought, the like orb Assassin's came. Creed. Yeah, he just <laughs> he thought that the orb would come back and it did. So yeah. he's just sitting there in this Assassin's Creed style, just sitting in this <laughs> waiting. Uh, yeah, just sitting waiting. And he made a little peephole so he could see through it. And uh, since Terry wasn't in the same place he was just a few seconds ago when the orb left, the orb started moving back and forth as if it was looking for him. This gave Terry great satisfaction, and this actually let him know that what he was dealing with wasn't omnipotent. It, it didn't know everything, you know? It had eyes to see, and if it didn't see you, it didn't know where you were. So it kind of helped him with his mentality, thinking, okay, this isn't a uh, you know, supernatural being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it also yeah. could be possible that the orb was just playing with him, you know? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, there's definitely <laughs> a lot of weird shit going on, so. Yeah, it's like it's like a dad playing hide and seek with his kid. Like, I know you're there, I'm just gonna kind of walk around over yeah, here. Exactly. Where are you? <laughs> oh, Terry, where could you be? I don't oh, know. I don't know. Definitely not in this hay pile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, the lights he had seen on his land were not a frequent occurrence, but he could only view them from a distance, never up close. No matter how silently he crept towards them, the lights would simply move away as if they knew he was there. But then, in the early hours of one morning, after yet another fruitless night, he was making his way back towards his homestead, when a movement in his peripherals caught his attention. To his shock, he saw a black mass hovering above the ground about 200 yards to his left. 
and it was silhouetted against the pale white snow. Immediately, he hunkered down and quietly observed as it moved across his land. To his eye, it looked like a smaller, snub-nosed version of a, you know, F-117 Nighthawk, which is like the stealth fighter plane that the U.S. Air Force has. However, he couldn't. it couldn't have been an F-117 because the craft was completely quiet, floating about 20 feet off the ground as if defying gravity. And colored lights shone from its hull, flitting over the snow as if it were searching for something and Terry was able to observe it for 15 minutes as it made its way back and forth. Can you imagine just staring at something for 15 minutes, not knowing what the fuck you're looking at? Exactly. Yeah, thinking it's a... a, A, if you had a fighter plane, a stealth fighter plane hovering over your ground, like, whoa! And realizing, like, it's not a fighter plane because you got all these freaking weird lights coming out from underneath it. Yeah. Be fucking movies. Dude, like questions so many questions so um yeah so the the craft itself was heading from west to east and then west again and terry still sitting in the cold uh his limbs began to grow stiff and as he stretched his limbs cracked in the dead silence of night the sound seemed impossibly loud but in reality it was so insignificant that it most likely wouldn't have been heard by anyone standing further than six feet away Nevertheless, the lights on the strange craft suddenly went out. It then stopped and turned in his direction. For a few moments, Terry's heart thumped in his chest as the object seemed to glare at him. But to his relief, the object silently turned and floated off to the north and out of sight. In the new year, as the spring spring rains began, the Shermans would lose even more cattle but now they began to reappear, sometimes dead from no apparent cause, and other times they were extensively mutilated. Now the nature of these mutilations were bizarre as well. There were huge chunks of flesh and skin that were carved out of the animals, yet there was no blood. The wounds have always seemed to be cut with precision instruments, displaying an almost surgical quality rather than the savage tearing of predators. Now, the Shermans began to feel the stress caused by these losses, and throughout 1995, the strange activity only intensified. Now, on to some more of the intense parts of this story. During the spring, as things began to ramp up, the lights appeared over the ranch almost every night. More poltergeist activity was experienced in the homestead. There were black featureless entities that began to appear, looking in through the windows, even entering the house and standing at the bed, the ends of beds. There were strange sounds that would emanate from the ground, almost as if heavy machinery or railroads were operating beneath their feet. The neighbors have also reported these strange sounds, and they also heard disembodied voices speaking in strange languages coming from the sky. I don't know if we said this already, but uh, fuck all of that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that kind of like saying those, the dark entities and stuff, it kind of factors into the um, skinwalkers as well, because yeah. when people would describe their interactions with them, they would see just 
like black figures yeah. in the distance, like just watching them. Yeah. And then also they would hear voices. No, I'm good, dude. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Fuck, fuck all that. Mm. Yeah. Now, one morning, Terry woke to find huge cookie cutter like holes dug into his land with no resulting piles of earth anywhere to be seen. Somehow, hundreds of pounds of soil had been silently removed from his property in the dead of night. In addition to this, strange creatures were spotted walking around or across their land from everything ranging from humanoid figures that resembled Bigfoot to bizarre canine-slash-hyena hybrids with razor-sharp claws that would attack their livestock. This goes along also with the Native American lore that we didn't quite touch because we don't have much time, but yeah. Bigfoot or Sasquatch to them is mm-hmm. a huge deal in the area. Like they, they say that Bigfoot's like the the older brother type of thing. Like he just watches out for the people and they see him. And if you see him, you're supposed to go the other way, but also he's friendly. I don't know. It's confusing. There's many stories about it, but Bigfoot is a big deal in the whole area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just another anomaly that we can't explain. And there was also an invisible entity that was often witnessed. Not the being itself, hence why it was invisible, but the effects of its presence. Livestock would part and move out of the way as if something big and unseen ran through the middle of the herd. Water in the canal would be displaced as if large invisible feet were stomping through it. And another creature was witnessed that seemed to be shrouded in some sort of invisibility or cloaking device. Can you just imagine though, like just what? watching your cattle and they just separate like the Red Sea and you're just yeah. like, what? And then yeah. you just- Or no, you're just hanging out like fishing at the creek and you just see like footprints appear in the in that's, water. That's that's just fucking water. creepy, dude. Yeah, I think there was one story with him and his horse and the horse started freaking out. But then, because the right next to the creek, but the creek was like someone was running through it, and the the horse could sense it, but he was, didn't see anything. Like he could see the splashing, and it like even splashed him a little bit. And the horse was freaking the fuck out, but nothing was there, dude. Yeah, like they that couldn't is, see anything. Just the effects. I don't know how he mentally he put up with this for this yeah, long. Exactly. Oh, now, I would be out immediately. If yeah, my dog exactly. barks at a corner, if a dog, my dog barks at a corner in the house, I'm like, fuck that corner. I'm yeah, fuck, fuck. No, yeah. I hear a, a creak on my st- uh, stairs going upstairs. I'm like, uh, yeah, fuck those stairs. I'm going into bed. I'm locking my door. Fuck that corner. Fuck those stairs, man. Fuck everything. <laughs> fuck the police. Oh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. It's, it's, a, a, running joke. it's, it's a running joke. Anyways. It's a running joke. Um, Anyway, so stationary orange lights were seen in the sky. Now, these were different from the ones that Terry had often seen moving in the distance. Now, the first time Terry had seen one of these anomalies, he was sitting out on his porch on a warm summer evening when something suddenly appeared in the sky about a mile from his position. He ran and grabbed his rifle, which had a mounted scope on it. And when he looked through the scope, what he saw left him speechless. The orange lights appeared to be some sort of portal, and at its center, he saw there was an opening, and in the opening, he claimed to have seen a bright blue sky, even though the sun had long since set. In his mind, it looked like a gateway to another place. 
and these anomalies became a frequent occurrence above the ranch, and Terry would later describe seeing odd-shaped craft entering and exiting these portals on several other occasions. The most disturbing of all the phenomena, however, were the orbs. So this dude's just staring at a gateway through his rifle with things coming in and out. I don't, I don't even know. It's just so it's pitch dark and he, mm-hmm. inside this portal is daylight and he yep. can see everything clearly, clear as day. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I don't, I just, that's insane, man. Like It really is. It's just, it's just nuts, man. Now, they were not, the orbs were not as common as the lights or portals that he saw, but when they did appear, they were far more obvious, zipping in and out of nearby trees and harassing the nearby livestock. These were mostly about the size of a tennis ball and had a blood red color. Now, every so often, a larger blue one would show up, and these were bad news. They nicknamed them the Blue Meanies, because these orbs were somehow able to instill fear in those who got too close to but them. But it sounds so cute. I know, the blue meanies, I know, right? Blue meanies. Exactly. Aww. Stay away from the blue meanies. Exactly. So, you know, perhaps those orbs gave off a certain vibration or signal, um, which stimulated extreme anxiety. Terry and Gwen were never sure, but they feared the blue orbs more than anything else on the ranch they had witnessed. There was this one time when Gwen and Terry were out watching their cattle and horses grazing when the livestock started to act nervous. And out of the corner of his eye, Terry saw a blue orb. The look on Gwen's face let Terry know she was also seeing the blue orb. They described it as a bright blue light, clearly visible even between the trees. And when it was near the livestock, the light actually shone onto their, you know, to their their pelts and stuff. So it was actually emanating enough to reflect. So all of a sudden, the blue orb moved lightning fast towards them, and abruptly stopped in midair about 20 feet from them, and about 15 feet off the ground. And the Shermans they sat there watching, as it floated silently in place. And for the first time, they had a clear view of the blue orbs. The outside of the orb was what looked like a hard shell of glass. And it was as big as a volleyball. And inside was an intensely blue, swirling, bubbling liquid. And it emitted a staticky crackling. Terry remembers feeling a deeper sense of fear than he had ever felt in his life that he could not explain. It just washed over him. He started to feel as though he might have start having a seizure from the feeling and that that feeling was growing inside of him. And he looked over at Gwen and he knew she was experiencing the same evil feeling. Suddenly, Gwen turns on her flashlight and just as quick as the orb had arrived, it was gone. And along with it, the immense sense of dread it brought with it. The way it moved away from the flashlights led Terry to believe the orb was being controlled intelligently. Later that same night, the Shermans were back in their homestead when, out of the window, they saw the same blue orb hovering outside and moved closer to the house. And as it moved around the house, the lights nearest the orb would dim and flicker, and the orb would continue to go around the house, and as it left one section of the house, the lights would return back to normal, and the next set of lights would start to flicker 
and you know dim as well until it just took off over their house and disappeared wow so kind of like it was uh emanating a sort of like EMP pulse, like yeah. field, mm-hmm. dis- it disable like, electronics around it. Almost like it was draining it. energy. Yeah, it was draining energy from wherever it was at. Hmm. Yeah, that's really weird. Now, one evening, Terry was out on his porch again, observing the lights over his property as he often did, when he spotted an ominous blue glow coming from a tree line in front of his house. He was immediately on guard as one of the blue orbs emerged from the trees and was making its way toward him. Three of his best hunting dogs sat by his side, and the moment they saw the orb, they began to growl and bark. Without even thinking about it, Terry set the dogs loose, and they chased the blue orb back into the trees. Whatever fear it was able to instill in humans did not seem to affect the dogs, and Terry felt his spirits lift as he felt he had won this small battle. So. The three dogs, they were really loved by Terry, and he knew they were fearsome opponents, but as the orb got closer and the dogs were almost to the blue orb, the orb seemed to be curious about the dogs, and even as the dogs jumped and snapped, the orb seemed playful and would float down just enough to toy with them, then go back up, sometimes only being missed by an inch by the powerful jaws of the dog. And it did this over and over again, And then it seemed kind of like it got bored and floated back towards the tree line, bobbing up and down, teasing the dogs, and the dogs kept pace, chasing it into the tree line. And then they were out of sight. Terry watched as his prized dogs disappeared into the darkness behind the tree line. But suddenly, out of the darkness came three pained yelps, and then nothing. He waited for a couple of hours, but his dogs never returned. He was far too scared to go and look for them, but in the morning, he and his son went out and began to search the trees, where he had last seen them. On the ground, they found three cauterized piles of flesh, smoldering in the cool morning air. And this was all that was left of the dogs. This, to me, is one of the gnarliest parts of this entire story of the Skinwalker Ranch, because Terry said that the last thing he heard was the unmistakable, bone-chilling sound of fearful yelps of dogs in mortal agony. And then suddenly, nothing at all, no sounds. The next morning, he found the clearing where his dogs last were. Immediately, the smell of burning flesh hits him as he approaches the clearing. And that's where he found the three circular marks of brown, dead grass. And in the center of it was just this greasy ball of black stuff, like, uh, I don't know, it's like sludge. And this was all that was left of his seemingly incinerated dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking crazy, right? Yeah. So this proved... Turned into fucking goo? Yeah. Yeah, like a... It was just like a hunk of flesh, just like boiled... Yeah, and if you see that, how do you explain that? Yeah, it, you, it's really how. It, what could cause something like that? Yeah, there were, these we were big it, dogs too. Like these were yeah, huge these dogs. Hunting, yeah, hunting like, dogs. Yeah, like property protecting dogs. These were not yeah. dogs to mess around with. If you saw like uh, mangled bodies, you know, you'd be like, oh, okay, they got attacked by you know some sort of animal or whatever. But you just see a hunking, steaming pile of goo. It, the way they know. described it almost sounds like they were hit by like a. A ray of like radiation or something because like the mm-hmm. grass all around it was dead as well and then yeah, yeah. all that was left was a steaming pile of burnt 
goo, basically. Fleshy, greasy yeah. ball goo. It's like, the man, fuck, man? It's crazy. So this incident, aside from all the other ones that preceded it, this proved to be the last straw for the Sherman family. They had endured much more than they could physically take over the last two years. They weren't getting any sleep. The kids were doing poorly at school. Uh, and Gwen had lost her job at the bank. The whole family had taken to bunking in the same room because of the strange phenomena that was entering their house regularly at night. On top of this, they had lost 14 cattle along with family pets and were on the verge of bankruptcy. Now seeing the vaporized dogs, it became clear just how much danger they were actually in. So Terry had contacted the local newspaper about the strange activity that was happening on his ranch. And although he was ridiculed, other publications began to pick up the story. Yeah, Terry Terry knew that going to the media would have unwanted consequences. That's something that was a given to him. But he felt like he had no other choice. Everyone at the homestead was at their breaking point. And just as he expected, one day, a car is on their driveway moving towards them. A large blonde man walked up to Terry and told him that he learned of the unexplained happenings on the property through the grapevine. Terry didn't care. He didn't take too kindly to tourists on his property, but the man basically begged him to let him meditate on the property. Terry eventually gave in, and he drove him out to the pastures, and the large blonde man got out and posed himself in a religious pose, when suddenly, from way behind the tree line, they heard the sound of a cowbell, but not a single one of Terry's cattle had a cowbell on his property, not one. It sounded closer now, and he could see a blurry something just behind the tree line. He couldn't make it out because it was moving so fast. All of a sudden, this blurry creature broke from the tree line super crazy fast and closed in on the large blonde meditating man. Now that the creature was in broad daylight, it still appeared as nothing more than a blur. They still could not make out anything about it. So the stranger, he seemed to have no clue that this menace was headed straight for him at enormous speed. Terry would later estimate this thing was moving around 60 miles an hour. The blurry creature stopped just an inch from the big stranger's face and let out, let out a deep animal roar. <laughs> That terrifying sound echoed around the property. It sounded like a mix between a bear and a lion. The big blonde basically jumped out of his skin backwards, landing about 10 feet away. And just like that, the big blurry creature made its way back into the trees just as fast as it had come. Terry went to check on the stranger and the big blonde man jumped up and wrapped his arms around Terry in total fear. And this took Terry by surprise because Terry isn't much of a hugger but he could tell the big guy was obviously distressed and terrified, so he let him for a second. But that was short-lived because a moment later, Terry said, if you do not let go, I'm going to hit you. 
the big stranger <laughs> Sorry, said, that's, that's yeah, just funny to me. <laughs> yeah, because that's how that's who he was. He's, he wasn't a touchy feely person, you know. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yo, bro, get off me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. The way he said it in the book, like the narrator said, "I'm going to hit you," like super serious. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the big stranger said he would let go if he gets him to his vehicle, and slowly, with the guy still holding on to him for dear life. Terry made his way to the vehicle. So he's still holding on to him and Terry's just walking with him. <laughs> and this, they describe this guy, they don't ever say a name, but they describe like him a, as like a, a big slow dance. Yeah, they describe this guy as a big muscular blonde guy, just like an enormous man. Um, and just before he was leaving, the stranger said this property is cursed and he would never step foot on this property again. But Terry already knew that. <laughs> Interestingly enough, later on, they would be watching the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator. And when they saw the predators cloaking in action, they both immediately said, that's what we saw. The way the creature seemed blurry and cloaked to the background matched perfectly with the action blockbuster movie. Dylan, Dylan, you son of a bitch. Got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> so when, when they get the, the, that sound that we heard earlier, imagine that from coming from the predator with its mouth open and stuff like that. Oh, just, fuck that shit. Just screaming an inch away from this big blonde man. Yeah. But you know what? terrifying. What's funny Who's, is that was... What? I was going to say it's funny because the guy was like, I'm just going to go meditate in yeah. the field. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think whatever entity this is appreciated. If it was a religious experience, like, you know, yeah. get that off my property. But so what's weird is, oddly enough... This seemed to prove to Terry that his property was some sort of government test site. Of all things, right? Yeah. Like, this This is just what he thought. It was like, man, the government needs to stop setting their tests, you know. So that's what I chalked it up to? Yeah, that's what he chalked it up to. The government sending experimental projects to his land. Right. Yeah, in an attempt to just kind of piece together what's been going on, man. Like, trying to explain it, rationalize it in his head. So, I guess the closest thing that he could come up with was a government test site. Now, by chance, it happened to catch the attention of a Robert Bigelow that uh, Will mentioned at the very beginning. Um, now, Robert Bigelow was a billionaire businessman who had recently invested a significant amount of money in setting up a scientific team whose purpose was to investigate these strange events. And he offered to purchase the ranch from the Shermans, who were all too eager to accept, and by July 1996, Terry and his family had vacated the property. Yeah, he offered him like straight up like cash money, two hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And, and they took this money and were like, "Yes, get me the hell out of here. This yeah. is more than we paid for." Blah blah blah. And then they they bought a property just down the way though, but they seemed to be happier with it. And uh, oh, just down the way, I would have went to another fucking state. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know that they hey. did that because. Utah's fucked. I'm going to go to Nevada or maybe Arizona. (laughs) Terry moved his family off his property, right? But he still had to keep some of his cattle there on the Sherman Ranch where all the Skinwalker Ranch where all this is happening. And he would come back and work as a ranch hand on his previous property for Robert Bigelow. What? Yeah. Yep. It he, was. He wasn't done. He's like, I need answers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to sleep here. So I, oh, you know, during shit. the day, like he would come back and for the next whole, pretty much the entire time, this experiment, uh, scientific experiment goes on. Terry is there right next to him, experiencing all of these things with him. Yeah. And that's the crazy Damn. thing is that Bigelow's team, um, they were called the National Institute of Discovery Science, or for short, it was called NIDS. 
and they were ready to move in by September that same year, and would in fact remain on the ranch for nearly a decade studying in detail the various instances of bizarre phenomena. Even they would have their own stories to tell. What they encountered there was every bit as intriguing and downright terrifying as what the family had experienced. For the time being, at least, whatever had been tormenting the Shermans for the last two years was about to receive some unwelcome attention. It was about to come to face with a fearless, highly equipped, and well-funded team of investigators who were well aware of its presence. The hunter was about to become the hunted. And you'll get to find out about that next time. Yes, so please join us. Uh, this will be a part two episode um, to discover what Robert Bigelow and his team had actually experienced on Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, so that was uh, what the family says they, you know, what they had experienced. And it's up to the listener to decide if they're full of shit or this is real. Yeah, let's find out what the investigators have to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, there. Oh, are we? We're done with the story, right? Oh yeah, we're done. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so I just I found out. Um, we are we go through an, uh, a website called Anchor.com to publish our episodes, and I found out that you, the listener, can send voice messages to us, and we can listen to your voice instead of just email, or whatever. And actually, if we save it, we can include that in an episode at some point. Like we, we can actually include it as a commentary in our episodes. So oh, if you guys cool. want to go to anchor.com and Bloodthirsty Times and uh, leave a voice message, you can do that. Yeah, we'll include you in uh, one of the podcasts. You know, if we like what we say anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there was a message yeah. of some guy going poo-poo pee-pee, like, nah, we're not going to <laughs> yeah. include no, that you, in, a, in the if podcast. If you have some commentary or something we missed or have some input into one of our stories then we'll be more than welcome to include it so absolutely yeah well in the meantime uh you know be sure to uh listen to us on spotify anchor um all of our, our social medias we're on apple mm-hmm, apple we're on facebook and instagram and be sure to tell your friends about us yeah and bloodthirstypod at gmail.com you can still send those emails if you want and that's pretty much all i got yep we'll see you on the next one See you in the next episode. For the conclusion of Skinwalker Skinwalker Ranch. 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 Gosh. (laughs) Terry, no. No, Terry. Gotta go gotta go to Candy Mountain, Terry. Candy Alright, I'm gonna end it.